This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. In the pages of the Old Testament, we find the words of one man who said, I have sinned, I have played the fool, I have erred exceedingly. These are the words of King Saul as he refers to his life and looking back on it. He was referring to one specific incident with relationship to David, but it might well and truthfully be said that this could apply to his entire life. We're looking today at this man, King Saul, the self-made fool. It was not God's intention that Saul play this part in his life. He was intended to play the part of a king, but he twisted God's plan for his life. Let's look at Saul and see what he did. First, we have to admit that there's much to admire about Saul in his early life. Reading from 1 Samuel chapter 9, the first couple of verses, Kish was a wealthy man who belonged to the tribe of Benjamin. His father was Abiel, his grandfather was Zeror, and his great-grandfather was Becherath, and his great-great-grandfather was Athiah. Keith had a son named Saul, who was better looking and more than a head taller than anyone else in all Israel. And then the King James says, from his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. What we'd say today is he was head and shoulders above all the others. A sound body is a great asset in winning the battle of, in the game of life. Of course, we all know some people who are not blessed with strong physical bodies and who have overcome their difficulties. However, we know that a person can be physically strong and spiritually strong at the same time. Used to be a time when it was thought that a person had to be a physical weakling to be spiritual. I remember when I was in college, it was required of all male students to be enrolled in what we call MS and T. That's military science and tactics. And after the first two years of MS and T, everybody was expected, if possible, to go on to the advanced course for the following two years. The only ones who were exempt from that were three classes of people, the physical, physically unable, the mentally unstable, and the ministerial students. <laughs> Some of us can remember the days when we admired a preacher who was physically weak, more than we did an ordinary person without a physical disability. You may be able to think of some that uh, were not blessed with a strong physical body, but who were dynamic preachers. They seemed to think that a bad case of nerves, some people did, or indigestion added to piety, I suppose. But today we hear of many physically strong people, such as athletes, who can stand out and stand up for Jesus Christ. Such was the case with Saul. He was a physical example of health and strength. Another characteristic of Saul was he was a modest man. When, Saul, when Samuel went looking for a man who was to lead the nation, Saul was out looking for some donkeys which his father had lost. When Saul was singled out and placed in a position of prominence, he said, 
I'm from Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel, and my clan is the least important in the tribe. He was really playing himself down, wasn't he? But it was while Saul was out doing this menial task of looking for those donkeys that he stumbled upon his great opportunity. So it can often be with us today. Yesterday we celebrated Columbus Day. Christopher Columbus, disheartened and discouraged, on his way home from the court of Spain, stopped at the gate of a Franciscan convent near Palos and asked for bread and water for his child. The prior of the convent called together a company of mariners and had them listen to the ideas of Columbus. This meeting was followed by another meeting and finally a successful appeal was made to the court of Spain. Within two years, Columbus had set sail for this new world. I said it was yesterday, actually it's tomorrow, Monday, when we celebrate Columbus Day. So a, ch a chance stopping at a convent door led to the discovery of a continent. Now let's look at another characteristic of Saul in his younger life. God chose Saul for a mission. Here's what the record says, recorded in 1 Samuel 10. Samuel took a small jar of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head. And then he kissed Saul. And in the CEV, Contemporary English Version, it explains in a footnote that this was a ceremonial kiss in recognition of the fact that Saul was to be king. And Samuel told him, The Lord has chosen you to be the leader and ruler of his people. As Saul turned around to leave Samuel, God made Saul feel like a different person. And that same day, everything happened just as Samuel had predicted. When Saul arrived at Gibeah, a group of prophets met him. The Spirit of God suddenly took control of him. And right there in the middle of the group, he began prophesying. We can well admire Saul because he was chosen of God not only of the people and of Samuel, but he was God's chosen king. Well, what use did Saul make of his opportunities? Well, briefly stated, Saul played the fool. He sinned. He rebelled against God. But you may ask, well, don't many people sin? Has there ever been one other than Jesus who did not sin? Of course, the answer is obvious. Yes, we all sin. There's none righteous, no, not one. But Saul's guilt was not in the fact that he sinned, but in his persistence in sinning. He never brought his sin out before God, faced it, and asked for God's forgiveness. Let's look at one particular example from Saul's life. One day, God sent Saul with a command to destroy the Amalekites, a wicked and perverse people. He was told to destroy all the sheep, the cattle, and everything they had. Saul defeated those people, but he took their king captive, and he saved the very best sheep and the fattest cattle. Then he came back home, fooling himself by thinking that he had done exactly what God wanted him to do. But God has never left himself without a witness. And so God sent a man to go and to speak to Saul about his disobedience. This was God's faithful follower, Samuel. 
in 1 Samuel chapter 15, the first nine verses, we have the record of Samuel's conversation with God as he confronted him with his disobedience to God. But let's continue to read, if you or where you can read those first nine verses, do so. But I'm going to pick it up right there with verse 10 and see what the Bible continues to say. The Lord told Samuel, Saul has stopped obeying me, and I'm sorry I made him king. Samuel was angry, and he cried out in prayer to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, he went to talk with Saul. Someone told him, Saul went to Carmel, where he had a monument built so everyone would remember his victory. Then he left for Gilgal. Samuel finally caught up with Saul. Saul told him, I hope the Lord will bless you. I've done what the Lord told me. Then why, Samuel asked, do I hear sheep and cattle? The army took them from the Amalekites, Saul explained. They kept the best sheep and the cattle so they could sacrifice them to the Lord your God. But we destroyed everything else. Stop, Samuel said. Let me tell you what the Lord told me last night. All right, Saul answered. Samuel continued, you may not think you are very important, but the Lord chose you to be king and you are in charge of the tribes of Israel. When the Lord sent you on this mission, he told you to wipe out those worthless Amalekites. Why didn't you listen to the Lord? Why did you keep the animals and make him angry? But I did listen to the Lord, Saul answered. He sent me on a mission and I went. I captured King Agad and destroyed the nation. All the animals were going to be destroyed anyhow. That's why the army brought the best sheep and the best cattle to Gilgal to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Tell me, Samuel said, does the Lord really want sacrifices and offerings? No, he doesn't want your sacrifices. He wants you to obey him. Rebelling against God or disobeying him because you're proud is just as bad as worshiping idols or asking them for advice. You refused to do what God told you. So God has decided that you can't be king. Nothing shows more of a lack of true repentance than the offering of excuses. That's what Saul did. When we sin, it's so easy to look around us and find somebody else we can put the blame on. Circumstances, other people, the church, the preacher, anybody. But as long as we try to project our blame on others, then we remain unforgiven. If you read closely that last part of the 15th chapter of 1 Samuel, you'll see there Saul said several times, I have sinned. But it was insincere. There's a big difference in being sorry we have sinned and being sorry we got caught. How many times have you seen a person appear to have repented, but it was just on the surface? Perhaps they were in a tight spot. Maybe a, a relative was near death or there was a financial crisis or some trouble that has no obvious solution. Saul said all the right words of repentance but his actions did not prove that he had truly repented in his heart. Now, before we stop, let's move on and see the outcome of Saul's foolishness. First, he became jealous. 
One day a young fellow named David killed one of the Philistines. That surprised everybody, including Saul. You remember the story. Goliath had strutted up and down, boasting, taunting Saul's army to send one man out to do battle with him. The Bible says, when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. I like the way the CEV puts this. Saul and his men heard what Goliath said, but they were so frightened of Goliath, they couldn't do a thing. Then along came little David, who took care of the situation. In 1 Samuel 18, we read, David had killed Goliath, and the battle was over, and the Israelite army set out for home. As the army went along, women came out from each of the Israelite towns to welcome King Saul. They were singing happy songs and dancing to the music of tambourines and harps. They sang, Saul has killed a thousand enemies. David has killed 10,000 enemies. Well, this was more than Saul's ego could take. He made many plans to kill David out of his jealousy, but all the plans failed. Sometimes David even showed his goodwill towards Saul by sneaking into Saul's tent, finding Saul asleep, and cutting off a piece of Saul's robe, or by taking Saul's spear, which was standing up beside the ground, or in the ground beside Saul. Oh, terrible it was how jealous Saul became of David. Also, we see that Saul became a godless man. During his better days, Saul had banished all those in his realm who had familiar spirits, worshiping idols. We would say all those who dealt in witchcraft. But when he began his downward fall, Saul himself went to visit one of those whom he had banished. He went to see the witch of Endor. He had seen the Philistine army on the horizon. He knew the handwriting was on the wall for him. And so he asked this witch to call forth a spirit of one who was dead. And she called forth Samuel, the man of God. You can read all about this encounter in chapter 28. I won't take time this morning to read that. But in chapter 31, we see the sad story as it ends. Saul died a defeated man. Let me read the first five verses of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 31. Meanwhile, the Philistines were fighting Israel at Mount Gihon. Israel's soldiers ran from the Philistines. Many of them were killed. The Philistines closed in on Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchusha. The fighting was fierce around Saul, and he was badly wounded by enemy arrows. Saul told the soldier who carried his weapons, Kill me with your sword. I don't want those worthless Philistines to torture me and make fun. But the soldier was afraid to kill him. Saul then took out his own sword. He stuck the blade into his stomach and fell on it. When the soldier knew that Saul was dead, he killed himself in the same way. What a sad ending to Saul's life. I can't help but think how different the story of King Saul's life might have been. Saul could have been a great blessing to his people and to his nation. 
but his life ended in tragedy. The greatest tragedy of, of King Saul's life was not the fact that he sinned, but that he could never be brought face to face with his sin and confess it to God. It was the same way with Judas. He too sinned grievously in betraying our Lord Jesus, but his life could have ended in glorious victory if he had allowed Jesus to forgive his sin. Both King Saul and Judas refused to repent, confess their sins, and give their lives to God to receive his wonderful forgiveness. Today we see another negative example from which we can learn. Like Pharaoh, Jonah, Balaam, we can learn from the tragic mistakes of others in the Bible. And so it comes down to us today. Do we have any sin in our lives that we have not confessed to God? In one of our hymns we sing, We cannot be channels of blessing if our lives are not free from known sin. We will barriers be and a hindrance to those we are trying to win. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he stands ready to forgive us from every sin, to cleanse our lives, and to give us his abundant life. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the invitation from the Lord today, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. He's there waiting. Would you let him find you? Father, help us each today to be willing to confess freely our sins to you so that we may receive your forgiveness, your cleansing, and your grace, a grace that is greater than all our sin. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.